My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and now fatherhood and backward to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Thy Kingdom Come from Justice Society of America by Jeff Johns, Alex Ross, and Dale Eaglesham is returning guest, fan favorite, Rich Roney. Welcome back. Thank you for having me, and I'm thrilled to be here. Looking forward to it. So this is the second episode in a two-parter looking at the Kingdom Come Superman. Last week, Bernie and I talked about the original classic four-issue Kingdom Come miniseries. We also had a great talk about Brandon Routh's turn as the Donnerverse slash Kingdom Come Superman in television's Crisis. And in this episode, like I said, we'll take a look at the most sub- substantial sequel to Kingdom Come, which was this Justice Society of America storyline that spanned uh, Justice Society of America numbers 10 through 22, plus an annual and three specials. So it was quite the lengthy, sprawling story. Uh, we'll also touch on, uh, at least briefly, The Kingdom, uh, the less well-received, less well-regarded uh, sequel that Mark Wade wrote uh, just a couple of years after Kingdom Come. I know you did not reread that. I did I did reread the main two-issue miniseries, so we'll at least touch on that and acknowledge that story's place within the, the Kingdom Come mythology. But primarily, we're talking about this Justice Society story. But before we dive into that, I mean, let me just ask you, I know, I know you did not reread Kingdom Come uh, for this episode. And like I said, we talked about it last time, but just generally speaking, I mean, what is your experience with Kingdom Come? Is it something that you go back to regularly? Is it something you kind of read once when it came out? Like what, what is your, your history with Kingdom Come itself? One, I, I loved it when it came out. I mean, it really galvanized, it, it captured me and, and captured my interest intensely. I thought it was stunning and fascinating for its time. I've gone back to it but I haven't read it, you know, beginning to end. I've I've found a book here and there, and I've read parts of it. I loved it more because, uh, you know, for some of the themes we're going to tap into, one, I've always loved the older Superman. So I loved that Superman from Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, the Superman with the graying temples. Um, I loved that older version. I especially loved what Ross and Wade did where – by virtue of what he experienced in his life, you know, the murder of Lois and her death, and then how society kind of turned on him, and they didn't, they didn't espouse his values, and they embraced Magog. The fact that he turned his back on humanity, it's very, very understandable. It showed how human he was, but he really severed his relationship with humanity and withdrew. So I loved that that whole story about him re-entering the environment, but I also loved the dynamic of both Wonder Woman and Batman. Each kind of, uh, you know, you see the evolution of Wonder Woman becoming more militant, and there was some very heated debates between the three of them, and I just thought that was fantastic. Right on. Yeah, I, I echo that, and like I said, Bernie and I, we we had a, a pretty thorough discussion, I think. We got into some really interesting questions and ideas about faith in the DC universe and, and, you know, w- within this world populated by all these super beings and, 
the 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 sin of Superman in that story of inaction, right? Uh, and and it was it was really interesting. But it's great to get your take on that as well. And I'll just talk for a moment about the Kingdom, which was Mark Wade's. Alex Ross was not involved, but Mark Wade's follow up. I believe it was ninety eight, so just a couple of years after Kingdom Come. Again, I know you did not reread that for this. You have read it though in the past, correct? Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, I my memory is that Wade took the lead. There was a two-part, a strong story that really focused on Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. It was kind of a surprise ending, if, if my memory serves, where, if and I'm fumbling this, but was Superman and Wonder Woman's son the Phantom Stranger? I, I, I don't know, but there was kind of a Superman with silver hair. And then there were five like independent one, one-offs. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the gist of it, and like I said, typically not held up, certainly in the esteem that Kingdom Come is, but I don't think even to the extent that Thy Kingdom Come is. But it has its place. Most notably, I suppose, it introduced the concept that Mark Wade and Grant Morrison had had developed of hypertime, right? So this was a few years before we would get Infinite Crisis and the return of the the proper multiverse. And so for this period of time, we had this, this notion of hypertime, which basically was allowed for alternate timelines and realities. And it was a way for DC to sort of, for all of the stories that had previously been wiped out by crisis to still exist and have a place. And I thought it was actually a cool idea and relatively you know elegant in its simplicity. And unfortunately, it never really seemed to catch on. The only other big instance that I can think of where a story really utilized it. There was a Superboy storyline in his solo series uh, where he was bouncing around hyper time and different realities and he was fighting oh, yeah. Black Zero in one of them. And and Tom, I think Tom Grummet did the artwork on that. It was a three or four part story where I, I remember one cover was like Superboy and 25 other variations of Superboy all on the cover. And like you said, Black Zero was the villain uh, I, th- I think that's when he was at Project Cadmus and he kind of partnered with the Challengers. Um, I also think, if I may, Morrison in Batman, with that whole thing about the black casebook, he kind of took the he took the position that all the crazy stories of the Silver Age did, in fact, in some way happen. But I think he made it more uh, a consequence of Batman you know, being exposed to the scarecrow fear toxin and maybe hallucinating. I'm, I'm fumbling on that because I only, I only know my, my sum total of my knowledge is from a CBR uh, and periodically, periodically seeing what Brian Cronin writes. Gotcha. So in any event, Hypertime was definitely, uh, you know, one major takeaway from that the kingdom uh, story, but the basic premise of it was that we, we, we meet Gog, right? The character who will eventually beget Magog in Kingdom Come. But we meet Gog and, and he is uh, introduced as a survivor of the, the destruction of Kansas in Kingdom Come. And he grows up initially worshiping Superman and then comes to learn Superman discusses with him his role in, in the events that led to the destruction of Kansas, the fact that he had stepped away and so this young man really turns on him and becomes this twisted figure who then travels through time and uh, keeps killing Superman uh, over and over, you know, one day earlier. And eventually the kingdom comes, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman travel back 
to uh, what is what is our present, like the present of the DC universe, and meet their present day counterparts. And I guess the one other interesting aspect of it, and it ties in with the hypertime idea, is that uh, obviously Kingdom Come was this Elseworld story outside of continuity, but in the Kingdom, it's really presented as the future of the DC universe. But when the Kingdom Come, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman travel back to the present day, they have now changed the timeline. And so the Kingdom Come Earth is now splintered off into its own reality, its own timeline within hypertime. Ah, so okay. Is so, that Earth 22? Well, Earth 22, it would get that official designation after Infinite Crisis. It was during the 52 uh, weekly series where after Infinite Crisis, the multiverse has, be, has been reborn. And now the Kingdom Come Earth has the official designation of Earth 22. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So again, I think with the kingdom, the idea of the kingdom conversions and the present day versions meeting each other and this concept of hypertime, I think those were really the, uh, you know, the, the big takeaways of that. Like I said, I reread the main two issue miniseries. It was okay, but you really do appreciate just how important the, that painted artwork really is in terms of bringing you into that world. And, you know, we'll talk about this when we get more into the actual Justice Society story. But, you know, in that, any time that we view the Kingdom Come Earth, it's Alex Ross's painted pages. So, it, you know, it really goes a long way towards, uh, you know, really creating a very distinct identity for that specific reality. So, in any event, that was The Kingdom. And then one other thing that I don't think you ever read, but correct me if I'm wrong, did you read the, the Chuck Austin run on Action Comics, like right before Infinite Crisis? Uh, I think I saw a cover where Magog was fighting Superman, but I could be wrong. I did not read it. So, uh, so it's Gog. It's the character who then emerges in the Justice Society story that we read. And remember, there, super, our Superman talks about having fought a character, uh, someone named Gog. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that okay. was they introduced just a sort of a modern day, non Kingdom Come version of the character. He was a missionary who developed these powers and and sort of lost his mind. And and again, they oh, re, they recount his okay. origin in 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 what we read. But gotcha. that okay. story had introduced him to the DC universe. Gotcha. That action comics run is not one I would necessarily be revisiting for this podcast. I don't I don't hold it up very highly. I don't think many fans do. But I did read it at the time, and I remember when they brought they brought in that character. But uh, in any event, uh, just to sort of lay out before we get to this Justice Society story, we had had a couple of instances of you know aspects of Kingdom Come being being utilized in, in other stories. Okay, okay, and I will confess, you know, Anthony, I loved. Kingdom Come. And like you said, the Ross's artwork was so powerful. But also, like you said, um, his theme of religion and faith, and the fact, like I said, that you've got these heated debates and philosophical conflict between Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. And that, that was conveyed so well in the story, and especially in the artwork. But as I read this Justice Society thing, I do have to confess, I did get confused between when Gog is the missionary, right? And then the, I guess, third world Gog appears. And then later on, Magog appears. But Magog has the same costume as, as the original missionary. It just kind of got me a little confused. No, I understand. Well, I, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll straighten everything out as we move forward here. So let's jump into this Thy Kingdom Come arc and one of the main reasons I wanted to have, really the main reason I wanted to have you in particular for this episode is that 
you're probably the biggest Justice Society fan I know. And it's something that you and I have talked about a lot over the years. For me, my introduction to the JSA was that late 90s revival uh, by initially David Goyer and James Robinson. And then Robinson stepped, stepped away and Jeff Johns stepped in and wrote co-wrote the book with David Goyer for many years and then eventually took over solo. And then after Infinite Crisis... JSA ended and Jeff Johns launched Justice Society of America, the series that we're talking about now. Uh, but so that late 90s revival, I mean, that was really my entry point to these characters. But how far does it go back for you? It's, uh, I would say, without doubt, one of the first four comic books I ever purchased after World's Finest was that summer's, I guess it was uh, Justice League of America. Uh, 28 or 29, it was the second team-up between the JLA and the JSA. So I was I, I was I was going back to these guys uh, to 1964, and I've always loved the just. You know this, I, I, geez, I kind of uh, uh, stammer and babble, but I've always loved the Justice Society in all all the iterations. I mean, there was an earlier thing in the early 90s. Um, uh, Len Struziski and um, uh, Mike Parabek did like a, a short arc. They did two arcs, and for whatever reason, um, DC canceled it. Uh, it was almost they didn't. It was kind of stealing stealing Showtime away from the Justice League. Um, but I remember that Mike Parabek did the artwork, and it was only eight or nine issues each of the two runs. So these these poor guys have been like exiled and thrown off into limbo far too often. I came in with trepidation, just like you. I loved, I loved that '90s revival, and I think it ran 85 issues, 87 issues, something like that. But there were so many arcs in there that I loved: the Princes of Darkness, the Return of Hawkman, Lightning Strikes, uh, Injustice Be Done. I thought, I thought that was just a, a stunning, well executed. Uh, um, run, run on the characters. And I think, I think many of those stories hold up well today. For sure. You know, for this, I, in addition to thy kingdom come, I did reread the first arc from the Ju justice society of America series, the next age. And I read, I skipped over after thy kingdom come, there was a four part black Adam ISIS story. I skipped over that, but I then I did read Jeff John's final issue on the title, uh, which is a star girl spotlight. So I've now reread you know, almost the entirety of the Jeff Johns run on Justice Society of America. I haven't gone back to the JSA series in many years, but, you know, like yourself, I remember that so fondly. And the thing is, I was thinking about this. I know for fans like yourself who who saw the ebbs and flows with the, the prominence of the Justice Society of America, that revival probably had more of an impact. For me, what was funny was that, I've talked about this before, the late 90s was when I really started branching out as a reader beyond the Superman books. So the absence of the JSA prior to that wasn't something that I really was aware of, to be honest. So I, rem I mean, I remember, and I don't know what it was funny because I don't know what it was at the time that necessarily grabbed me about it. But I remember when the JSA stuff started coming out and they did that Justice Society of America Returns event that, oh, yes. that led up to it. But yes. whatever whatever it was, it, it captured my attention, and I didn't know. I mean, I knew next to nothing about all of the history. I think the main exposure that I had had to the characters was in Zero Hour, which they did not fare well in that. 
And in Grant Morrison's JLA, there was the Crisis Times 5 arc that introduced uh, Jakeem Thunder, if I'm recalling this correctly, and, and, and utilized a number of the, of the JSA characters. So I had very limited exposure to the characters and definitely didn't, hadn't felt their absence. But man, I was on board from the start with that, that JSA series. And I think what, what has always resonated with me about the characters, I, I really love the sense of, of history and legacy. I think the notion of these mystery men banding together in the dark days of World War II is really cool. I like the idea that to at least some extent, they serve as some measure of, of inspiration to Superman himself, even when he's you know starting out. And the fact that there had been these, these costumed crime fighters previously, I think that's kind of a neat touch. But I think that more than anything... It was the end of the Return of Hawkman storyline from that JSA series. It was JSA 25, and Carter Hall has now reunited with the surviving founders, Ted, Alan, and Jay, and they're, they're talking on the rooftop about their role, their place in the DC universe, and it's Jay who who's, he looks down at, at the, the people on the street. He's like, the people down there, they look up to the Titans and the League, but the Titans and the League look up to us. And Alan yeah. says, who watches the Watchmen? And I, you know, I always like that idea of this, this different, they're not just another team. You know, they really have a very special, specific place. And in the, in the first arc of this Justice Society of America series, the one before Thy Kingdom Come, it begins post-Infinite Crisis with uh, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman coming to the founders of the JSA and saying, we need better heroes. We need you to really train the next generation. And Batman has a line where he says, the league is a strike force, but the society is a family. And in that next age storyline, and it continues into thy kingdom come, you really see them building up this idea of them as a family, as a society, as something more than, uh, again, something akin to a strike force. So uh, I think for me, that's what's always resonated with me about these characters. Uh, similar for you, different. What, what is it for you? Uh, I'm, I was hanging on every word and I agree with you. Uh, the other aspect that I, I find interesting, if I may, like if, if I may, really prior to this revitalization of the Justice Society in, you know, with, with Goyer and Jeff Johns or Goyer and Robinson, and like we said, what did it run, like uh, seven or eight years close to that? It was like 87 issues. Um Prior to that, like if you look at Marvel, almost Every superhero is the same age. They're all contemporaries. And prior to Justice Society coming in and that Goyer, Jeff Johns run, it was really the Justice League and the Teen Titans. But here, all of a sudden, you had more of this, this reflection of generations, right? You had the Justice Society, you had the Justice League, you had the Teen Titans, you had Young Justice. So you had this generational aspect of things where... All of a sudden, you could have an older, uh, clearly very vital Alan Scott and Jay Garrick and Ted Ted Grant and Hawkman, and you they were teachers, right? So that generational aspect, I think the whole concept of legacy really started. I don't know when, but it started. I would say just about, you know, uh, JSA in the mid twenties, exactly like you said, twenty five or or the return of Hawkman, uh, that generational aspect kind of, that element kicked in. Well said. So one thing that we have to touch on before we really get into the meat of Thy Kingdom uh, Come. I know where this because, is going. Do you? Because this, maybe you do. 
because this has been a long time running joke between you and I and a number of the others from our old comic shop, Alternate Realities. Uh, the sort of the prologue issue to Thy Kingdom Come features a scene that I would have never thought twice about. I would have read it and said, oh, that's that's cute and fun, and I never would have thought of it again. And I'm referring to the pancake breakfast at the firehouse, which audience, and I'm going to ask him to explain in a moment, but Rich Roney has abhorred this scene. He <laughs> detests this scene. I can't tell you how many times he has cited this as a low point for the Justice Society. The fact that they would dare have a pancake breakfast at the firehouse for five pages for years. How many years has it been since this came out? Rich still talks about it. For, uh, right now, Rich, on the record, for what is the problem with the pancake breakfast? Uh, boy, I, I should have seen this coming. And <laughs> shame on me. Shame on me. Oh, is that not what you thought I was going to say? No, that's exactly no. <laughs> what I thought. That's, exi- that's precisely, that's exactly it. But I should have been prepared. Uh, so I... Okay, two things, uh, two things, and I'll try to keep this crisp, but that second run by Jeff Johns, I really think, to me, did not hold up as well as any of the stories in the first run. I also thought that that, that five-page spread um, in that early issue, and I think at the very, very, very end of that issue is when Starman opens the portal to get rid of Goth and it lets the Earth-22 Superman enter. But it just struck me as kind of um, a schmaltzy uh, Norman Rockwell type thing, right? I, I think they, you know, I think it was caricatures. Or like I, I vaguely remember like uh, Citizen Steel, all his nieces and nephews hanging all over him and, you know, pots and pans and eggs and batters all over the place. I just thought it was kind of a, kind of a saccharine uh, uh, cheap take on Norman Rockwell. Um, so, uh, and I know I can remember, I can remember what I remember sitting across, uh, at dinner with you, uh, at Mickey Spillane's once, and I was getting excited about in Smallville, how the justice society was going to appear. And I remember telling you, I go, they better not have a pancake breakfast. And I just remember the laughter on your part going, geez, Rich, you got a lot on your mind. Huh? Yeah, it's it's so it's funny to me. I mean, you, you know, look, your point is well taken, and I appreciate the thought that you you put into that. It's not I I, I understand it's not just some arbitrary thing. I, I mean, I would say for my part, I, I I like it. I feel like it. Yeah, I mean, is it a little schmaltzy? Sure, but I think it shows it shows more of a human side, a little bit of downtime in between, you know, big arcs and big battles. It shows their community involvement, and the reason why they were at the firehouse was in the prior issue they had. Uh, Oh, I'm already blanking on this, but oh, is it Vandal Savage? Was it that arc? I might be totally, con- I, I might be mixing some stuff up, but basically, uh, I think it was Wildcat and his son were fighting a villain, and they they pushed the villain oh, out was, into the street. I, I think it was Vandal Savage, and it was, and the you know the villain got struck by the fire truck, and that's how they saved the day. So that was the connection to the to the fire station. So. It worked well enough for me, but yeah, that's been the running joke uh, b- between the two of us and among you know a number of us from our comic shop for years. That rich, ha- listen, in my neighborhood, a, f- a few months back, the, we're right across the street from us is our local fire station. We were there not too long ago for an Easter egg hunt with our son, and a few months ago we saw a sign for pancake breakfast, and my wife said, "Oh, should we go?" I said, "No." I said, "We don't do that." 
I said, we don't go to Firehouse Pancake Breakfast. I was like, Rich would not like that. She's like, why? I was like, ah, he doesn't like, do you like pancakes? You do like pancakes, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, yes, so I you do. like pancakes. I'm sure you support firefighters. You love the yes. Justice Society. You just don't like them all together. That's right. If, if, if I think it could have been done differently. Uh, that's probably the most diplomatic way. way. And, and I'm not ignorant to, like you said, uh, the sense of community, uh, especially when you look at like Jay and Alan and Ted. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring this up when we discuss more of thy kingdom come. Um, it harkens back to that, that, that spirit of community and that spirit of, taking care of community that harkens back to the World War II generation, you know? So all the elements you voiced, you know, the sense of community, um, protecting people, yeah, all those things are good. I just I, I just kind of, for whatever it was, uh, I, I'll also say I really didn't warm up to it at all to that second run on Justice Society. Um, it, to me, it, the stories were not as strong or as well executed as the first, the earlier run um, in the mid-90s. I understand. Like I said, I have not reread the 90s series, but I did reread almost all of the John's run on the second series. And I would say that it held up better than I then I remembered it at the time because I, I think you and I were very much on the same page of feeling like, ah, this, this doesn't, this doesn't live up to the prior series. So I, I think for me overall, I, I came away from this reading project with a more favorable view of that follow-up series. I know one of the things that, you know, we talked about at the time, this was a big part of the series, especially that first arc, the next age, the justice society, again, with these marching orders from the justice league, not marching orders, but you know, re request to, you know, really work on building up this next generation of heroes. They embark on this huge recruitment drive where they start tracking down the bloodlines, the legacies of prior justice society members. And so we get this rather large influx of new members to the team. And I think that's maybe a place where your mileage may vary. Right. Because if you really have more of an attachment to the to the to the older characters, you know, they do have to cede a fair amount of the spotlight in these stories. And it was a lot. There was a lot of new characters who were being introduced. Was was that part of what hindered your enjoyment a little bit? Was was that the wave of, of new characters? Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm not opposed to. And I think I think, again, the earlier run. I was more impressed with how they handled it. Like when they introduced um, Rick Tyler, and I remember uh, like Jakeem and Rick, and you know, Jakeem helped him get settled in the brownstone. So I was more with earlier introductions of legacy char characters. I thought here, and, and again, they had the request from the Justice League to do what they were doing, but it just seemed like all of a sudden they grabbed. So many characters. I mean, you had Tommy Bronson, you had Judo Master, you had Amazing Man, you had Mr. America, uh, Lightning. Am I missing anyone? Damage. Damage. Uh, I was I was surprised, to be very candid, I was surprised that they didn't speak to, like, Jesse Quick, Jesse Quick, or Kate Spencer, Manhunter. I thought it would have been intriguing had those characters been approached to become members of the Justice Society. It just intrigued me that they did bring in those other six char 
characters. But clearly, you can make an argument that uh, Kate Spencer, I mean, her grandfather was Al Pratt. Uh, I think her grandmother was Sandra Knight, uh, who was the cousin of the first Starman. Um, and then also uh, Jesse Quick. I thought that would have been intriguing. Were, She's were she... Liberty Bell, no? Okay. But was she Liberty Bell at that time? And I'm showing my ignorance. I guess she was. You're correct. Yeah, you're she correct. features prominently in the in that. No, you're yeah. right. You're right. I to me, I never I never solidified that connection. Gotcha. So shame on me. Yeah. No, no, no. All, all good. But uh, yeah, the Kate Spencer thing. I yeah, that would have been interesting, especially since Kate had, you know, had 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 the Manhunter uh, series and everything. So it was you know floating around the DCU at the time. So. And also the the Al Pratt. Uh... Sure, for sure. So Thy Kingdom Come in this storyline, which again spanned, you know, a, a good Baker's dozen uh, number of issues. Uh, the Starman from the future, who has become part of the Justice Society, uh, creates a black hole to stop this uh, supervillain from uh, from uh, exploding, and inadvertently creates this black hole that brings the Kingdom Come Superman to our Earth. And over the course of the story arc. The Kingdom Come Superman is his his quest really is to prevent this Earth from following the same path that led his Earth to destruction. And in this story, he's been plucked from his Earth like right as the atom bomb has detonated. So as far as he knows, there's nothing and no one left on his world. He thinks that he is once again the last survivor of his home world. And as events start to unfold, the arrival of Gog, who is killing villains who purport to be deities, uh, the arrival of that Gog, and then the god Gog, <laughs> who will eventually create Magog, he's seeing all of these events take place that seem to be creating the scenario that led to the chaos on on his Earth, and uh, so that you know certainly creates the you know the main source of conflict for him and. Uh, you know, there's a lot more for us to unpack, but that's as far as the kingdom come of it all, uh, and specifically the kingdom come Superman. You know, that's that's his role. The the I guess one of the biggest questions that I wanted to ask you is, and I could probably guess the answer, but do you do you feel that the Justice Society was the right vehicle if we're going to bring in the kingdom come Superman to the DC universe? Do you feel like the Justice Society is the appropriate vehicle within which to do so? That that is a fantastic question. The the intriguing aspect is the fact that here you had Power Girl, right, and her love and the pain she experienced with the death, you know, probably two or three years earlier with the the in the Infinite Crisis, the Earth Two Superman. I think though, so you got that connection. I think well. I'm convinced that Alex Ross wanted to do an, a little interlude where he could flesh out some of the things about the Earth-22 Superman, but not do it in any way that would be contradictory to the original story. So I think this, I think two things dovetailed here. You got, clearly, Alex Ross loves the JSA. I mean, how many covers did he do where he just did the profile of one individual character? So he has a great love for the JSA. Jeff Johns has a great love for the JSA. But I do think it, like, I, I think I might have, told this in one of our Sunday discussions, I think it would have been much more interesting if they had put the Earth-22 Superman in the midst of a different team. 
Uh, it might have been more dynamic. Um, yeah, I, but I, I don't know. I, 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 it might have been pretty hard to tell a story if he were hanging out with the Justice League. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that was something that I, th- I thought about as I was reading this. And I, I ultimately, you know, we'll talk about how much we liked this or didn't like this story. I, I think for me, I'll, I'll say this, and I, but you know, and obviously we'll get into this more. I, overall, I enjoyed this arc, and I enjoyed it more now probably than I did the first time around. But I think this was a case of more the setup being better than the payoff is sort of the way I feel about this story. But within that, there was a lot that I liked. But I, I do think that this was the right team uh, to make the Kingdom Come Superman a part of, because I think thematically, it really lines up very nicely with what was going on in Kingdom Come. The fact that you had this new generation of superpowered beings, of supposed superheroes, who were reckless, who were irresponsible, who didn't take care with the people and and places around them, and obviously, you know, it, it, it culminates in this war between Superman and, and the old guard, his contemporaries who have returned and this, and this new breed, some fall in line with him, but a lot don't, they have to imprison them in this gulag. There's the breakout. So I think it, it made sense thematically to tie it into justice society, which is all about this idea of legacy and training the next generation. And so you know, if we're thinking about, well, okay, what would be the building blocks to getting to that kingdom come scenario? It, it is this next generation not having the guidance that, uh, that they should have. So, so the fact that here's a team dedicated to that cause, I think that works. And I also think that since we are dealing with an older Superman, I think that lends itself nicely by, by pairing him up with, ah, with characters okay. like Ted and Alan and Jay. Although one of the things that I that was a big disappointment for me, I think, with this is I wish they had more interaction. I feel like, you know, Kingdom Come Superman, he you know, he has a few interactions with Cyclone, one of the the, the younger heroes, and and it's great, and that works in well in and of itself. But I think uh, I think I probably would have enjoyed a little bit more of him with the old guard because I think that's one of the advantages of like it would have been a different dynamic than than when our Superman interacts with them. Well, uh, uh, if if I can offer this. One thing that I impressed me and I thought was well done, and if you don't want me to – well, you at the very, very, very end of the story, when they're kind of having their final confrontation with Gog, I was – I really liked how it was really Alan and Jay and the Earth-22 Superman that all had the same perception, same mindset, where they were kind of pushing back, and they, and – one of them was saying, like, look, you cannot demand worship. You cannot demand servitude, you know. You just can't do that. So you did see this alignment and this same kind of collective perception. And I think it, again, harkened back to the World War II, you know, generation where they fought for freedom. But the three of them, Alan and Jay and the Earth-22 Superman, all had the same perception. They pushed back on Gog. So I, I didn't think about it till you said it. It probably was more um, alignment, the fact that they all were effectively, you know, older. They were not the prime. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. So let's take a really quick commercial break, and then we will continue our discussion. We'll be right back. 
Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. And we're back. So let me ask you, and I know we had talked about this a little bit off mic and and in 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 our, what's up? Can I come back? You brought this up just a couple of minutes ago, and I do want to hit hit sure. it. So, as you said, one of the compelling elements of Kingdom Come was, again, as I said earlier, Superman rejected humanity. He rejected society. He withdrew completely. And that was a result of the murder of Lois, and then also the fact that the values that he espoused were not honored at all by society. They loved Magog because he killed the Joker. So he completely withdrew. And then this violent, reckless, irresponsible, um, just very, very uh, indulgent, indifferent to humanity, super beings came in and they just fought. They didn't care about collateral damage at all. What I wondered is, as the Earth-22 Superman spent time with the Justice Society, and to your point, they were in their teaching mode. They were trying to cultivate and build the character of better heroes. I wonder, our, my conclusion is, Superman was simultaneously, but also it might have amplified his own sense of remorse because he didn't do more in his own world, and that fostered this environment of recklessness and violence. So I think in the same time, he might have looked at them with admiration and being impressed with them, and it might have amplified his own sense of remorse for a lack of action or inattentiveness on his part. 
Oh, I mean, at that, I think that's the whole point of this. You, you were breaking up for, for a second there, but I, I think we all got the gist of what you were saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think from the perspective of Kingdom Come Superman, and, you know, we talked about this when we, when we, when we covered Kingdom Come itself, is that, you know, Kingdom Come isn't the, the story of injustice, right? Where Lois dies and Superman puts a hole through the Joker's chest and then continues down this, this dark path. It's not that, right? In, in the Kingdom Come story, he still holds true to his values and his ideals. But like you said, the, the people around him don't. Right, they fall in line with this, this, you know, the more violent alternative in, in Magog and and others like him. And so, you know, Superman's sin in that story isn't isn't giving into darkness, but it's it's giving up, right? And yep. so, and so, I think that's what's so interesting when he comes to this Earth. He's seen he has seen now the consequences of his inaction, and when he returned, how difficult it was to try to to right the ship. And like we said. He comes into this world thinking all is lost on his world. So he, he's thinking that the consequences yeah. of his inaction were, were, were the ultimate consequence. So, yeah, so as events are unfolding here, he sees and this, Anthony, I'm sure, as an opportunity to, to, to act, right, to take the opposite approach that he did the last time and stop events from leading to, to what he saw in his world. Yeah, and to your point, I, I remember early in the first trade, there was, I think, a brief page or two where Earth-22 Superman speaks to Kara. He kind of startles her. And he does. He's convinced his world is, is gone. You know, it was destroyed. And he kind of says, this is my new world. I want to make it work. And maybe we can each kind of be family. Uh, I, was, I, I thought that was a touching moment. Um, yeah, for sure. So I know you know I you and I speak on the phone usually on, on on weekends, and so I know we've been talking as you've been making your way through the reading assignment for this. So, I mean, I have a sense of where you ultimately landed on this. But let me ask first: what what were the expectations going in? What what? Because I know you had read this when it was originally published, but I know it would have been a long time, or you had not read no. the whole thing. No, no, I I was very um, I bounced around. I was very sporadic. Um. Quite frankly, uh, some of those I didn't even pick up some of those early issues, like when they introduced Judo Master, um, uh, or uh, you know Lance Corporal David Reed, who is FDR's grandson or something. Um, that really turned me off. So I was a lukewarm fan. I there was one cover I loved. I forget what issue it was, but it was uh, the. And I always get confused. Is it Earth Prime or New Earth? The New Earth Superman is looking down on the Earth-22 Superman. It was an Alex Ross cover. I thought, wow, that is... And it was reminiscent of a, a panel in Kingdom Come. They just had different characters in different positions. Uh, so I, I, I did not read the whole thing, and I'm glad I read it. Uh, I, I, I had all three trades, and I worked through beginning to end. Um, and, you know... Uh, I'll I'll let you question me on some of my thoughts here and there as we go through it. Well, no, I mean, I guess so. So since you were reading most of this for the first time, I guess what were the expectations going in, and and were they met or not? I there were. Am I glad I read this? Absolutely, I'm glad I read it. Did I pick up on certain perspectives that I never would have otherwise? Definitely. But um, my own view. And I don't mean to hit the conclusion. We can touch on elements and moments. 
I kind of think this thing ran too long. I think it ran too long. I also think uh, a flaw in it was the fact that you really only had three key characters. You had Gog, you had Earth-22 Superman, you had the Justice Society. You really didn't see any other villains fighting the, the Justice Society in essence. To your point, I think it would have been more interesting if they took a page from the Gardner-Fox uh, very first ever all-star Justice Society team where they broke into small teams, and that might have fostered more of a dynamic. Here, my sense was it was the entire team just, just watching Gog walk across the Congo. I think it would have been more interesting from a dynamic character perspective if they had broken it into smaller groups and you could see discussions. There were one or two, like when Superman confronts Magog in one of the, the brownstone rooms and kind of tells him, hey, look, be careful about the future, you know, do the right thing. Um, but I don't think there was enough of that. I think this was just really constrained to three primary characters. And I don't know if it had the punch. So my expectations coming in were I love the older Superman. I've always loved the older Superman. And I've always loved the Justice Society. And while there's elements of this that I really, really appreciate thematically, I think there were a lot of missed opportunities. And I don't think this story holds up as well as some of the, the earlier JSA stories. That's, I mean, you know, fair enough. Uh, do you think that, so, you know, this, this tries, I guess, to be both a Justice Society story, but also a follow-up to Kingdom Come. Do you think it suffers from, from trying to be both? Like, is it, is it a better Justice Society story than it is a Kingdom Come Superman story or vice versa? Or, or is it, does it not really work totally in, in either respect? Okay. I, I think, I think DC had two objectives or Alex Ross and Jeff Johns had two objectives. I, I truly think this is more of a Superman story, Earth-22 Superman story than it is a Justice It's just in the environment of the JSA that it takes place. But I think their objectives were, I think, I think Alex Ross wanted to revisit this story and do an interlude in such a way that he could expand on the background, especially like the death of Lois and how it impacted Superman at the time. But I don't think he wanted to do anything that would run contradictory to the original story. I think that was one he wanted to tell this story, but just circle back. And they did it brilliantly from a timing standpoint. I think the other thing DC wanted to do was they really wanted to build up the team, expand the team, and and set it up such that there were two ongoing series running concurrently. Uh, so I think that was the other backdrop of this. I think, in my mind, I think those were the two objectives. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, when you mentioned that there, there were other than Gog, we really didn't have a, a third party antagonist in this story. But I think. I mean, I guess that was deliberate, right? Because so much of this came down to the to the splinter within the team, right? And I and that's the thing is initially I remember reading those first few issues of the next age and they were, you know, introducing all these new characters and it's like, where are we going with this? But I, I guess ultimately that is where we were going and why they, they beefed up the ranks so much and especially with these newer characters who were more of a blank slate where when we have this split and some of them go with Gog and some of them don't you can get on board with the idea that especially some of these these newbies uh, would. But what's funny, I actually feel the opposite about what this story really is. But your point is well taken. But I feel like, I feel like really this is a Justice Society story, but I feel like Kingdom Come Superman is so popular and looms so large that you sort of, 
think it's more of a Superman story than it is. And and I don't know. I feel like he, he it's, there certainly has a key part to play. But, and I mean, I, I don't know. And I'd be curious to hear, you know, from, from audience members. I feel like if you go in looking to read this as a Kingdom Come sequel, it's probably not as satisfying as if you go in to it with the perspective of, okay, it's like a modern day Justice Society story with elements of Kingdom Come. And obviously, certainly the Kingdom Come Superman is, is a major element. But uh, I, I think that's probably, and it, I think that's kind of where I ultimately land on it. But, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I One thing I think was a missed opportunity was early in the in the overall story when Earth-22 Superman um, is sitting at the, the conference table in the JSA headquarters in the Brownstone. And uh, I guess uh, uh, Ma Hunkel took his, his suit to get it cleaned or whatever, and he's kind of hanging out in the robe and just having tea. And they kind of lock him in there because, as they say, hey, the last time <laughs> a Superman appeared here... <laughs> There was a lot of a lot of a lot of mess, a lot of a chaos, um, and you could see he was, you know, his world was just destroyed. He had gone through the 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 whole experience of withdrawing from society and then going back in and trying to right the ship. So he was disillusioned, demoralized, um, disoriented. Um, the JSA is also apprehensive, like, you know, they brought in the Justice League to do the DNA checks and all that stuff. What I think would have been interesting would have been in one of the early issues, uh, Judo Master is, is um, I think, attacked by some superhero or superpowered assassins. And my memory is there's one panel where Superman takes one of the Japanese assassins who's able to blow himself up, and then reassemble his parts. But Superman talks to him in Japanese. And, Anthony, I thought of you because you introduced me to this, but this was a, a Superman that was willing to threaten, right? He speaks to the guy in Japanese and goes, hey, I know what your trick is. You know, you explode and then you reassemble your body. I wonder how hard that would be if I threw some of those nice body parts of yours across the Atlantic, right? It would have been more intriguing if he took certain steps where he was more willing to be threatening or violent, how would the JSA have reacted, especially when they were trying to build better heroes? That, that was just... Because that's that's the only time in, in this, what, uh, 13 or 14 part story where you did see that threatening aspect. Yeah, that's true. That is interesting. And I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I thought that... This story worked well in in terms of the time when it came out, right after Infinite Crisis, like you said, because they've had this experience of an older Superman with gray temples <laughs> coming yeah. from an alternate universe, uh, you know, and and you know, basically taking the current heroes to task for the world they've created. So, yeah, their apprehension very much tracked was very believable. I really liked the parallels between him and Power Girl, and and you know, your heart really breaks for Power Girl because she's in Infinite Crisis, just lost the Superman of her, of her earth, of earth too. And, you know, then sees, you know, someone who could be the same person related to that person. You know, she doesn't know, but I like the kinship that they're able to find for both of them as, uh, you know, people who, who survived their, the destructions of their world twice. Universes. Yeah. Universes. Yeah. So I, I really like that. Um, 
Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of talk in in these stories again about building better heroes and and everything. And I, I feel like in a lot of instances, it's a little more tell than show. But I guess what really forces the issue is ultimately. Uh, when the god Gog, not the man with the powers of Gog, but the actual Gog from the third world rises, right? And like you said, begins this walk across Africa, performing these seemingly, you know, seeming miracles. And, you know, there's a certain point where obviously we have certain members of the team who are who are more skeptical of this and others who go along with it a little bit more readily. But, you know, Gog starts granting these wishes. I thought this was one of the most interesting aspects of this story when he grants these wishes specifically for members within the team. And you see, you know, relatively quickly what a case of be careful what you wish for <laughs> it, it can be right. Like, like sand, he has these nightmares. He's haunted by these nightmares. He can't sleep. They're horrific. He's witnessing all these like gruesome crimes, but that's what allows him to ultimately solve them and, and, and find abducted children and, and, you know, the, uh, you know, others and, when he is cured of that and he's able to have a peaceful night's rest, it's like all those people who he would have saved are now lost. And you see a bunch of examples of this Dr. Midnight when his, when he regains his sight. And then he can't do surgery or he can't do the diagnosis that he was able to tap into when he was disabled. Uh, and then also you see how it expanded um, damage, the vanity. Yeah, his his profound sense of vanity. They explored that when Damage and um, Adam Smasher had the knockdown drag out. Uh, yeah, be careful what you wish for. And then, you know, like God revitalized. He, he basically resurrected um, David Reed, Lance Corporal Reed, and made him Magog at the very, very end. Uh Yeah. 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 And you feel, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I really did appreciate, I think that the story did well was you feel, you feel this conflict within kingdom come Superman, right? So he spent 10 years hiding out on his world and, and he saw the consequences of that. So he comes here, right? And he, he doesn't want to take that same approach. And yet he's helpless as events unfold you know, just the way, you know, he, that he knows, you know, could lead to the, to the same results that, that happened on, on his earth with first Gog and then Magog. And maybe most importantly, this infighting within the team, like this idea of these superpowered beings fighting each other. And now you get this schism. Yeah. And on top of that, I think what, what adds to the dilemma is that we know where the, where the Gog story ultimately goes, where he demands the worship, right? Everyone on your knees. And it's like, whoa, but Prior to that, everything that he's doing, well, to a point, and we'll talk about that, but most of what he's doing uh, is positive. It's benevolent. So that that disconnect, right, for Kingdom Come Superman, where it's like, I know, like, we're, we're dealing with these these figures and these events that lead to to such disastrous consequences, but it, it seems to be heading in a better path. Like, I, I appreciated that that dilemma that he was faced with. You know, and I guess it's one of those things, like, if you know the, and it's not even that he knows the future, right? He knows a future from his world but he's on a different world. It's like, how do you reconcile all of that? Yeah. 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 It, it, I find it humorous super early when they lock him in the conference room and he hears the, you know, the bolts click and all that. And, you know, they're talking outside. Hey, the last time, you know, an older Superman came here, but then like, I find it humorous when Wildcat goes, uh, 
hey, you guys do know he can hear us. Yeah, uh, and not only can he hear them, but he hears the uh, the, the young the girl woman, right, who's who's going to commit suicide, and and he lets himself out of the room that he's been <laughs> imprisoned in, and uh, and and he saves her. I liked as far as the. And I know, obviously, when we talk about these stories, we talk a lot about the Alex Ross art. And I love, again, whenever we had glimpses of the Kingdom Come world, it was his painted pages. But I really like the Dale Eaglesham art in the regular issues. And I thought that there was such a gentle, you know, the Kingdom Come Superman is, a, is an imposing figure. <laughs> but there was this like gentle calm to him. And even when he's sitting at the table right, in prison and surrounded by all these heroes who are very wary of him, there was still this this calm although i guess you could also argue he was in the stages of grief as well thinking that he just lost his entire world so a lot swirling around but i just just in terms of the body language and the physicality as as dale eaglesham depicted him uh, i really like that yeah i one other thing that struck me is i i forget where it was there were a couple of interludes with earth 22 superman and new earth superman and I thought they were well done. I do, but uh, it, it disturbed me that one, I forget what issue it was, and it might have been the one I loved with the cover where New Earth or Prime Superman goes, hey, are you spying on my wife? Um, but they fight Hercules, right? And Hercules basically elbows and gives a bloody nose to New Earth Superman. And then he tries to slug earth 22 and it means nothing because earth 22 is so much stronger. He's processed so much solar uh, radiation. It, it, it harkened back to that discussion we had about the Superman 2000 script. I was almost concerned that they made him, they made him so strong that there really wasn't anyone he could go toe to toe against or who would present a challenge to him. It was more philosophical. Like you said, he's seeing the, the path be sown to the world that he wants to avoid. So it's more a perception and philosophical, but I, it did strike me that, well, there's really nobody that can give this guy a run for his money. He, they, it, it was reminiscent of the Superman 2000 script. Oh, interesting. You know, I hadn't thought about that specifically, but that's a good point. Well, speaking of his power, one of my favorite moments from one of the later issues, he he, uh, he punches a bolt of lightning and it was great. And one of the characters is like, did you just punch lightning? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was and cool. I want to let you unpack this later. But I loved at the absolute end of the thing when there's a full page spread and I think he's lifting Gog's head and he compliments Cyclone but it's also a reaffirmation of his own the Superman I love you know don't ever quit don't ever quit and I think that was amplified because he came from a world where he had quit and had sowed this violence and this dissent but the Superman I know would never quit never surrender so I love that one that late in the story that one just after he punched the lightning where he, he kind of, it reaffirms his own values, but he kind of gives a, a shout out to Cyclone. Yeah, absolutely. That was such a powerful moment and works on a, on a number of levels. But as far as what, you know, what Superman would or wouldn't do, and you mentioned the, the Kingdom Come special that Alex Ross wrote and illustrated, where 
the Kingdom Come Superman speaks to Lois, our Lois, and tells her about the death of his Lois and the rest of the Daily Planet staff. And Bernie and I talked about this last week, so but I, I want to get your take on it because I still remain somewhat conflicted on this. We get new information here. Because in Kingdom Come, we know that Lois dies at the hands of the Joker and Superman brings Joker to justice. Magog kills Joker. Joker, uh, Superman tries to bring Magog to justice and he's acquitted. The people are on his side, right? And that ideological betrayal is what sends him into his decade of solitude that he gives up. But in the Kingdom Come special, that's part of Thy Kingdom Come, in that flashback, we see Lois dying, right? We get more time with them and we see Lois dying and Superman says to her, like, I'll find Joker, like, I'll hurt him, I'll make him pay. Right. And Lois makes him promise not to, like, hold on to who you are. And, and yeah. Don't ever lose Clark. Don't, you know, right. I love those words. Don't ever lose Clark. And it didn't register with him at all. Right. It will when it's um, by, by the time we're done. Right. It will. But in the moment, it doesn't. But the, the, the question this is what Bernie and I were talking about last time. And I want to get your take, especially since it's most relevant to thy kingdom come, since that's where we see it. But Superman holding on to his ideals and and not seeking vengeance in kingdom come after Lois dies. Does it. Does it add to the story or take away from the story that we find out? Lois kind of turned him around and, and had him make that promise because it adds, I mean, it adds another layer to it. You read kingdom come and it plays like, even though this horrific unimaginable thing has happened, he's still not going to give in to, 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 to hate and anger. But the, the kingdom come special adds this, adds this step of, well, no, he was, but Lois was able to pull him back. Do you like that? Do you like what that adds? Or do you feel like that takes away from what was presented originally? I I like it. I, I I think it adds to it. I think it shows his profound love for Lois and his humanity that he can see. You know that he can't save her with his X-ray vision. He knows she's going to die. It shows his humanity that he wants to hurt the person that killed her. And I'm more impressed where. I just think for a moment, Lois reminded him of who he was. Um, I don't think he would have blazed off and just been you know, like the injustice Superman. Um, I, I think he probably would have still adhered to his values, but I, I like it that that to me of the entire thing, that Alex Ross Superman special to me was the high point. I, I think it, he did a great job conveying the love and the emotion between Earth-22 Lois and Superman. And her death was, I thought, just so emotionally powerful. But I, I did like it that she tries to tether his humanity to him, like, don't ever lose Clark. And I think he was just so emotionally distraught, he didn't, it didn't register. And he, he did the very thing she didn't want. He abandoned Clark for at least 10 years. Um, it was only, I guess, I forget what story where Wonder Woman gives him the spectacles. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was more impressed that Lois had to just kind of chide him into remembering who he was. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think I, I sort of landed uh, on the opposite side. I felt that it it took away a little bit more than it than it gave, but I I still remain conflicted on it. I mean, I think it's a very moving, powerful scene in and of itself. I guess in the context of what we already know from Kingdom Come, part of me feels like, ah, like don't, don't touch that, but 
again, I get it. And I, I can see why you or, or others would like that. Um, we, you know, we talked about this divide within the team, uh, within the Justice Society. And for the most part, most of the ones who side with Gog are the new generation, the newbies, right? Damage with his fixed face, Amazing Man, Judo Master, uh, Wildcat Jr., Citizen Steel, who, who, you know, in this story, right, he, he, he wants to be able to feel again, and he's hoping that Gog will, uh, you know, grant him that wish. But among the old guard, Hawkman... Hawk I, I wanted to ask you that. Did that did that ring true to you? That no, mo- no, no. I, I really figured if anyone's going to espouse freedom, and I know why they did what they did. They didn't want it to be. Hey, all four of the old guard are all going to be on one side of the uh, team. They had to mix it up a little bit. So I, I think Hawkman, the Hawkman that I read many times who was effectively Conan with wings, right? You know, give him, give him that mace and he'll, he's, you know, he'll fight anybody, you know? And I, I did love in the earlier arcs, all the fights with Black Adam. So that didn't ring true to me, the fact that he was on Gog's side. That didn't ring true, but I realized they had to do it. Otherwise, you'd have all the newbies on one side of the, the ledger and then all the old guard on the other. So they had to mix it up a little bit. And I think Cockman was the expedient one. I, I agree. I The thing is, I was with it to a point. See, when Cog starts turning the, you know, these these soldiers who are, who are, who are killing civilians in Africa, he turns them to trees, right? Effectively killing them. I mean, he makes them part of the earth, but they're dead. <laughs> And that, see, that, within that divide, I understood Hawkman's position as more of the warrior and someone who, you know, is is willing to take it that step further, you know, when he feels there's no other choice or it's justified. So, in that sense, the fact that Hawkman was more okay with that sort of uh, solution, that that rang true to me, but the idea that he would be following around this god... And going along that, with all of this, that's where I felt like this does not feel like Hawkman to me. I wholeheartedly agree. I agree with both comments you made. You can rationalize that his his protection of people, you know, even in ancient Egypt, his sense of responsibility to protect his people. So I can understand why he, for the evil soldiers, he reaches the conclusion. But for him to be in Gog's thrall, I, I just, that didn't ring true to me. That didn't, I just think, you know, they didn't want to have all four of the old guard on the same side of the ledger. For sure. So I, I said earlier that I, you know, the story went on for a while and I do feel like there was more, the, the setup was kind of better than the payoff, but I guess that's a question. I wanted to ask you this. We have issue after issue of Gog walking the earth, performing these miracles, seemingly benevolent, uh, you know, actions that he's taken, causing this rift within the team. And, you know, I think the Hawkman of it aside, you can see why certain members of the team, particularly those who who wanted their wishes granted or still want to have their wishes granted, like would go along with it. I think for the most part, it tracks why why you would have this sort of split versus those who are more skeptical and uh, and, and can kind of see through a bit and maybe see where this is going. But we really get to this big payoff where, again, Gog now demands worship. And now this really brings everything to a head, and most of those who who had been on Gog's side now switch over. But 
I mean, was that, was the payoff worth it, I guess, for you reading it? Were you like, oh, like, man, that was worth all those issues leading up to it? Or was it sort of just like, eh, I don't know that it was worth all the buildup? More the latter. More the latter. I know they had to resolve it, right? Um, I don't know what else they could have done. So I, I, while I'm being critical, I don't have an answer for an alternative. And I, I had to say that with respect to the creators. But to me, God was kind of a one-hit wonder, right? I mean, his purpose was, again, I, I'm, I'm convinced Alex Ross wanted to tell another Earth-22 Superman story, but did not want to alter or, or do, undo anything contradictory to the original. Um, so it was kind of perfunctory at the end. I do think one thing that I think was a missed opportunity was very early on, they had Infinity Man fight i think gog uh, the 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 uh, missionary gog but he was only there like two pages and i'll tell you i think what a missed opportunity because here you had gog come from the third world and infinity man i can remember anthony when i was like 14 years old i bought the forever people the very first issue and i was just kind of like wow who is this guy i mean infinity man he was kind of this amalgam of uh, the Billy Batson, Captain Marvel thing. You know, the, the younger super gods kind of, you know, they vanish and he appears. But Infinity Man was Darkseid's older brother. And he was somebody that could go toe-to-toe with Superman, no questions asked. So I thought, wow, that would have been intriguing had Infinity Man had interaction, say, with Alan Scott or or some of the other characters, or Power Girl, or something like that. I thought that was a that was just a too brief, like a little vignette, and then he was gone. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's one of the one of the pitfalls and and drawbacks of having such a sprawling cast is that you just don't have as much real estate. Because I, I agree with you. I think when I think of my what I consider missed opportunities in this story, I think it is you know wanting to see more combinations and different interactions and. It's it's funny because there were any any time we spent a few pages either introducing or uh, getting reacquainted with an existing character. In almost every instance, I wanted more. Like when we spent those few pages with Sand, dealing with these nightmares and you know drinking all these pots of coffee over you know at night to stay awake because he's haunted by these nightmares and he's working these cases. It's like, well, I would read a whole issue with this. Yeah, Anthony, that was the second biggest thing that I loved the most, what they did with Sandy Hawkins. And there was, Eaglesham nailed it. There was like, I, I forget the the backdrop, but I think Power Girl was going to ask Sandy Hawkins to help him, help her. And they show him in his room with all these pots of coffee and a chessboard and books and music. And he's doing everything he can to distract himself, keep himself awake, so he doesn't go into these these horrible nightmares. And like you said, it, it, it had to just make him feel so horrible seeing, you know, whatever it was on a telepathic level that those guys conveyed their ideas to him, the villains and the murderers. But I thought the artwork was powerful there where it showed his profound aversion to going to sleep, you know, the pots of coffee and all the distractions. I thought that was well done. Uh, I'm sorry. I got to say this. and I want to get your reaction. And I know we're, we're not doing this in a linear fashion. 
Yeah, nobody said we had to. It's all right. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but what amazed me, and I want your feedback on this, what amazed me was, like you said, there was that one point where God turns the, the violent soldiers into trees, right? What I don't understand was, how did the entire JSA and Superman fight him? Like, he can make sand go to sleep at the snap of the fingers. He couldn't do something to... He sends Power Girl to another universe. He couldn't do something to slow these guys down? I, that just, I, I attributed to that was maybe he was so uh, connected to the Earth that it hindered his ability to do some of the, the, you know, the instantaneous changes that he did earlier in the series. But it just amazed me that he didn't, he didn't make any of the JSAs go to sleep or trans, transplant them or transport them somewhere else. Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think that is ultimately probably a bit of a cheat, but I, I like your rationale that as he bonds more with the earth and that's what, what sand uh, uncovers, right? Because he's also, in addition to these, I mean, these nightmares, he's also a geomorph. And he's connected to the earth, right? And he he's able to yes. recognize the symbiotic which, relationship which a, that... Which is a very unusual uh, yeah. skill set. It's it's quite the power set. So, uh, yeah, so maybe maybe there's there's something uh, uh, to, to that effect. Um, I, I guess, you know, one thing with Kingdom Come Superman, I, like I said, I think he comes in with this desire to act and to stop events from unfo unfolding the way they have and instantly runs into this dilemma because... The, the the right figures are in play, but again, things are playing out somewhat differently and Gog seems to be benevolent and, and all that. I guess, do you ultimately feel that, that Superman, like there was enough for Superman to do? And because we're talking about all this action, right? Do you ultimately feel like there was enough for him to do? I mean, we talked about that moment where, where he, you know, uh, you know, says to Cyclone, don't ever give up. And that's a very powerful moment. And he is able to get through to, to Lance Corporal Reed after he's become Magog and show him like, look, like, look at what these wishes have done to everyone. So he does have, I mean, he does have those moments. And of course he and Starman are the ones who ultimately take Gog, uh, through one of the black holes and, 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 and imprison him on the source wall. Right? right. So he does have things to do, I guess. Do you feel like it was was enough because again i i just keep coming back to this thing where i felt like th there was a lot of telling and not not as much showing in the story as i would have liked yeah that was one of my disappointments because again my love of the older superman with the gray temples my love of that character and and it wasn't so much infinite crisis it was more really crisis on infinite earth uh, if i may in some ways, it would have been super intriguing if Gog had sent Power Girl and Superman to the Earth 2. Um, because my disappointment was, a lot of it was, you had to read into how he was processing things. And he was being very patient. And like he, he the one time, like, like I'm repeating myself, when he confronted Magog in the Brownstone, and Magog is, I, I've never felt better, right? Or um, he's, you can see the trepidation and the nervousness, like, holy cow, I'm seeing history repeat itself. But it was more ob observing. Um, I did like the scene, quite frankly, where there was like a two-page spread where he had a one-on-one -on -one with Wonder Woman. And he kind of counseled, he, he's telling her, geez, don't succumb to mili being mili militant. 
keep the sword in the scabbard. And it just kind of rolled off her back. But he was trying to do things, I think, to help keep the environment or the, the, the whole thing going in the right direction. But I, I got disappointed with him just standing around so much. Yeah, but as far, I mean, I, I do appreciate those other examples you gave. I mean, in, in, in total, maybe there's enough there that we can sort of say he, he, he took the actions that, that, that he needed to. It Which, was interesting how Starman and Superman were the bookends. Yeah. Because at the very, 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 very beginning, uh, when Starman creates that portal to get rid of Goth, it's just Starman and Superman on that last page. He's carrying Starman out. And then at the absolute end, Superman goes, you know what? I am going to go back to my world. Whatever whatever it is, I'm going back. And he, he asked Starman to say goodbye. So they bookended it with just with those two char- characters. Uh, and I thought that was kind of a nice synergy. Uh, I did like the occasional appearances of the Green Knight. Uh, there were a few panels where Alan did get into the Earth 2 armor. Um, I thought that was well done. But it was infrequent. One thing, Anthony, I want to get your thoughts on. One thing I expected, I really expected, knowing Ross's appreciation of religion, and and it was super prevalent in many of the titles, I did expect to see at least a page where the specter might appear, and there might be an explanation for why he wasn't a participant in the story, something that precluded him or prevented him from taking action. So... I, from about midpoint on, I expected to see some panel with the Spectre kind of observing observing all this and not really sure what to do. Uh, so I thought that was another lost opportunity. In addition to Infinity Man, I thought, geez, you could have done something and explained why the Spectre wasn't part of the story. Yeah, I mean, especially given the Spectre's affiliation with the JSA, yeah, that does feel like a bit of a missed opportunity. I, I wonder why that wasn't even addressed especially since like we said the story ran for so long it feels like there there might have been a place somewhere for it so yeah i i don't know that's a good question i would be curious to know what went into that especially given that jim corrigan and uh was it norman mckay am i doing his name right uh the, Mm -hmm. the pastor they had a lot of discussion and dialogue in kingdom come and Norman McKay did make appearances here in that Superman special. But I, from about midpoint on, I expected to see the Spectre, I don't know, looking down from the astral plane or just kind of making a comment and going, well, maybe I'll step in if I have to. It, it Given how it, the Spectre is one of the, the few speaking characters in Kingdom Come, so I expected to see at least an appearance of him in this story. Right. Rich, I feel like you should do your own fan fiction here with with your take on the story, because there's a lot. I mean, a lot of the things you're proposing, I'm not that so much, but, you know, like him and Power Girl going to Earth, too. I mean, very different directions for this. So, uh, you know, going back to our earlier question about expectations and missed opportunities, uh, it seems like the story missed more than it more than it hit for you. Is that is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, please, I I don't want you to think like uh I'm going to go down to my garage tonight and take an axe and chop up the three trades. I'm, I'm really glad I read this. Um, I read it more out of respect for you because you always raise the level of play. So I'm very happy that I took the time to study this. And 
analyze it because it didn't do it for me when the story first came out. But, um, yeah, I think it had some great moments. I really do think it had some really great moments. But I think they hurt themselves by making it too constraining. Um, I think there was a number of opportunities where they could have taken in different directions. So because they were so careful, you know, they really couldn't, they couldn't do anything to the Earth-22 Superman. They had to put the toys back in the toy box at the very end in the exact same way. Um, so in a sad fashion, I think there were a lot of missed opportunities. And I don't think this story holds up as well as stories from, say, 10 years earlier about the Justice Society. Sure. Well, actually, so that, so you've talked a couple of times now about how, about putting the toys back in the box. And I agree. And I think Alex Ross even acknowledged this in, in some of the supplementary material. There's a sketchbook and things like that in the, in the trades. And I think he, that one of the things I read, you know, did cite exactly what you just said about not wanting, you know, this, this is a follow up in a number of respects, but not, not, I guess not a direct sequel and not reopening, right? The, the intention, the idea was always that, that still, the, those four issues of Kingdom Come stand by themselves, right, as a as a wholly intact story. So I so I agree with you. I mean, I think we get to the the end of this, and he's put back where he needs to be. But I guess maybe it's like a two part question. Is there any? And we see once he goes back to his Earth, we see uh, you know sort of a montage of scenes from Kingdom Come, and then beyond, we get some new some new moments as well. But so we see that things are now he's back, and things are unfolding the way we. We know them from Kingdom Come, and then we go a little bit further, and we see him in the far future. But I guess one question is: Do you, are there any are there any aspects of those final moments where you think to yourself, "Oh, this colors the original Kingdom Come differently"? Like I I, I have a, di- a different understanding of why he does this now because of the adventures that he had with the Justice Society. Like when Wonder Woman gives him the glasses and he puts them on, is do you feel like, well, he's more receptive to that now because we know the conversation that he had with our Earth's Lois and she asked him, you know, what did Lois mean by don't lose, you know, don't lose Clark? And so that's kind of been in his mind. Like, did, I guess, did it color any of those, those kingdom come scenes differently now that you know this adventure that he had? Boy, I, Anthony, my misgiving is I have not reread Kingdom Come in a while. Uh, no, but even just like second. in terms of, you know, no, I understand. But even just in terms of what we, what they give us in Thy Kingdom Come, the fact that when he returns to his yeah. Earth, he sees so many of, of, of the people around him yeah. dead from this nuclear fallout, and, and he goes to the world leaders, and he's on a rampage. Yeah, yeah. If anything, it makes it, oh, this is where I compliment Ross for the artwork, because when he is reactivated on his in his universe, and he goes back to that exact moment, and he sees the nuclear de- desolation and the dead bodies, he goes right to the UN, and he's, he's set to kick ass. And Norman McKay has to talk him down and go, look, you're the very thing that terrifies people, your, your willingness to be this violent. You're, you're terrifying humanity. That's why they launched the bomb. So I compliment Ross because when Superman like gets up and sees the devastation and the desolation and the death, that's how he reacts. I would have expected him to be a little bit more thoughtful, though, based on his experiences in Thy Kingdom Come. It might have tempered his reaction. Now, maybe it's just he's so overwhelmed by the dev- devastation. Um, but, you know, Anthony, I, I 
I truly think Kingdom Come stands so. I, I did love maybe that that those two pages where Superman got to cradle Lois as she was dying, and he's so just destroyed. That I, I, that would have been intriguing if those pages were part of Kingdom Come. But absent that, I really didn't see anything that from Thy Kingdom Come that influenced Kingdom Come. Right. Which, I, you know, and I guess this is where you know you get differing opinions because part of me feels like. I mean, I agree. You don't want to really touch Kingdom Come. You want to maintain the integrity of that story. But then part of me also feels like, well, what was the point of all of this? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, they were walking such a fine line. Like you said, and you said it, you reminded me. Yeah, I think there was some some bonus material and some sketches. And I, 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 you reminded me, I think Ross did say, I don't want to do anything that would undo or alter or tweak the original. So they really kind of painted themselves into a corner. You know, they, they really couldn't change the character. Uh, again, you talk about Rich Roney fan fiction. It might have been intriguing if he came to uh, Prime Earth or New Earth and he had amnesia or something. Um now, granted, he was demoralized and disillusioned and disoriented. I get that. And he was processing the death of his world. But um, I didn't see any, I really didn't see any character development, you know. Mm. Do you wish, because I, I, I wonder about this myself, do you wish that he had been able to stick around and just be a part of the team, not in a Thy Kingdom Come story that's dealing with Gog and Magog and all that, but if he had just been part of the team for a few arcs? Like, do you wish that he had stuck around longer? I do. I do, but I, I am. They would have had to really come up with some great environments where they could challenge him. Because, again, I'm conscious of the fact that he's so powerful. Like, you know, here you got Hercules that gave the younger Superman a bloody nose. And he couldn't do anything to the older Superman. And even, like, when he goes in there and they, they spray the kryptonite gas, he goes, wrong Superman. So I, I am my, my apprehension is they made him too powerful, uh, unless they did something where they say thrust uh, thrust him on on uh, apocalypse or um, had him fight Mongol or something like that. Some real there would there would have had it would have been intriguing if they kept him around for a few arcs, and there were small a smaller number of individuals that he interacted with. All right. Well, I mean, I, what you're describing is very close to the current War World saga, you know, in action comics. That that idea of a little bit older, the the White Walls, uh, fighting Mongol, uh, interesting. You mentioned faith, and Bernie and I had a really great discussion about that last week. About again, faith in the DC universe and what Superman's faith might be, and all of that. I think the, one of the things that I appreciated most about this was uh, the Mister Terrific of it all, because he, you know, famously doesn't believe. And, you know, it was kind of, it was heartbreaking because when we, when we go to Earth 2, we see that, that world's Mr. Terrific, you know, his life took a very different path. His wife lived. She survived uh, the accident that, that our Mr. Terrific's wife succumbed to. And that Mr. Terrific becomes a man of faith. And it's, it's such a stark contrast to our Mr. Terrific. And there's, you know, a very interesting moment where Gog will not even acknowledge Mr. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. You know, good point. And then you mentioned Norman McKay. I did feel a little bad for our Earth's Norman McKay because <laughs> I feel like Kingdom Come Superman's putting a lot on him. He's like, <laughs> listen, that's a different guy. 
<laughs> but he's still it's still the same again you know as far as the echoes of kingdom come i mean the last thing norm our norman says to kingdom come superman is you know it's like i hesitate you know I, I don't mean to like talk so simply to you but it sounds like you really need to forgive yourself and then that's of course what kingdom come norman mckay says you know in, in the big climax with um you know when superman's on his rampage so uh yeah you know i appreciate those those echoes but yeah it was kind of funny i felt a little bad for our our norman <laughs> yeah I mean, Anthony, you, I was pondering this. You said this about 10 minutes ago. I, my misgiving is Superman, I think, because he was so powerful. In many, many, many respects, he was forced to be, an, he was constrained to be an observer. I mean, other than helping Judo Master in that early thing, and then really uh, being the the solution at the very end, taking uh, Gog's head and going to the source wall, you really didn't see him engage in his, you know, he granted, he saved the girl that was uh, contemplating suicide and jumped off the uh, the roof. But you didn't see him, I didn't see him really use his powers a lot or fight villains or you know, he kind of seemed to be hanging out with the JSA and just observing what was transpiring. Well, but I guess maybe that's part of the, maybe that's part of the point with this, with this version of the kid. Like he's not there necessarily for fisticuffs, but he's there. And maybe you can even argue, and maybe I'm being too generous. I don't know. But maybe you can even argue that just his presence alone and his, you know, he does come in fairness, he does come with warnings (laughs) and and information, right? So he is trying to steer them. And I, I, I might be pinning too much on this one moment, but I really feel like when he's able to get through to Magog, when he's able to like grab him and be like, look, look what's look what Gog has done. I, I, I do think that that's definitely a standout moment. Again, you're talking Good about point. a pretty a pretty long, <laughs> a long story to get there. But yeah, maybe it's just maybe the presence alone, maybe the the warning that he comes with, because I guess that's the thing, too. It does. Like I said, thematically, it really does all tie together because the Justice Society already has this mission. We have to train the next generation. And then he shows up and he's like, yeah, if you don't. It gets real bad. <laughs> Boy, that's a great point. That's a great point. No, that's a great point. So I feel like that really solidifies everything, and it does sort of you know, bring things to the forefront and force certain issues, especially when we get to that splinter within the team. So I'm coming around a little, even a little bit more on this. <laughs> no, no, I, I, that is a good point. I will say I truly think, I, really, I do feel bad. I do think they set Magog up for failure. I hate to say it. I mean, I did, like I said much earlier in the conversation, I did get confused between the missionary Gog and then the god Gog from the third world and then Magog. But, I, and I know that he had his own series for I don't know how many issues, 10, 12 issues or something. Magog, he had his own series but I think the poor guy was set up for failure because he here he had he, he had this villain's costume uh, his entire tenure, um, and I remember all the stuff like, hey, he's a special legacy character. We really got to bring him in because he's FDR's grandson. But it, it was unfulfilled potential. I mean, uh, he looked so violent. I think they set him up for failure. Yeah, maybe. I mean, as far as the, you know, kind of keeping the character straight, I mean, you know, Gog, Gog is the god from the third world, right? The source of this power. And then that's what William Matthews, the missionary, is, is I guess, able to tap into. 
and that yep. allows him to to take on the guise of, of Gog, and then the real the real Gog, essentially the God, absorbs him, <laughs> and and then begins that that walk, and then creates Magog. Uh, we talked a little bit about the the biblical implications last week of of Gog and Magog, and I don't have I, you know I haven't learned much more other than you know Doctor Midnight addresses that in this story. Sometimes they're referred to as as people, sometimes places in in the Bible, and it's not just Christianity. It's a number of religions have these Gog and Magog. Oh, really? We, yeah, yeah. So I do remember like there was a panel where Doctor Midnight said his studies of Catholicism helped him explain the the, the Gog Magog relationship. Yeah. And you nailed it. You you said it so well. Yeah, you know. Hey, you had uh, William Matthews somehow tap into Gog's power and be the first Gog. Then you had the God from the third world who begat Magog. But I think poor Magog was set up uh, unless they changed his costume in some way he just looked like a villain all the time so that poor guy with his lance and his horns i just think they set him up for failure yeah i've never read any of that i, I would be curious to, to check it out uh, it, it's funny because it, it it took a second when you said that for it to even ring a bell with me i'll have to i'll have to take a look at that but you mentioned how you know we do see alan scott in the in the kingdom come armor at the a certain Knight. point yeah and i feel like there was a period of time i guess really right around this time between this and uh, Roy Harper becoming Red Arrow and Tim Drake becoming Red Robin. Like it felt like there were, there were a few, a few steps towards maybe, uh, you know, incorporating elements from kingdom come, not that kingdom come is the future of the DC universe, but it's at least a potential future. And it's something that, you know, maybe you would see some, some steps, you know, building towards that. Um, I don't know. I guess, do you, would you hope to see more of Kingdom Come elements in modern day DCU, or do you think it sort of sort of should stay where it is? Boy, that's interesting. Well, Anthony, I am so I, I, I apologize to your listeners. My love and enthusiasm for comics at, at present is really not there. I mean, I'm not buying the way I once did. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would be reluctant if they took an element of Kingdom Come and they made it continuity now, because I think that's kind of a foreordained conclusion. I'd rather let the story evolve in a certain way, but if they could do something where they tap into, like, Red Arrow or something like that and make it more organic in in our Earth or something like that, I'd be for it. Right on. So is there anything, I have a couple more just general JSA questions for you, but uh, as, as far as the Thy Kingdom come, is there anything else that you wanted to say about it or anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to? Give me a second to check my notes. I, I truly think we covered this so well. I Probably the only thing I will say that, and this is a small annoyance, it's a small annoyance, And it's trivial, but I was very disappointed when Damage destroyed Al Pratt's home. And 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 all the family memorabilia and the, the records and stuff like that. And I say that kind of from a personal level, only because uh, this past January, you know, we went back into being homebound. They didn't they didn't let my company didn't let us come in for the month of January. So I used a couple of weekends to really 
clean out a bunch of material that I had moved out of my mother's apartment after she died. And I found this small box of a whole bunch of my, my father's records from World War II. I found his dog tags. I found one of his diaries and journals and, you know, some of the trips he took um, you know, in 1942, where he had to go overseas and stuff like that. And it fascinated me. So I was very disappointed when damage completely destroyed Al Pratt's home. Uh, because at one point in the living room, they showed where uh, Adam Smasher brought out all the memorabilia and some of the, the tapes and films and stuff like that. So uh, I thought that was, you know, obviously it's not going to move the needle um, on the story. Um I think, candidly, if I may, it would have been much more interesting if Earth-22 Superman tried to speak to Damage and steer him back to the right path, um, as opposed to Adam Smasher uh, trying to kick the snot out of him. Yes, I agree. Although, you know, it's funny, because as as the wheels are turning, and I feel like... Okay, let me see if if I can lay this out, because I think... In Kingdom Come, it's not just the inaction. It, we we do have that decade where he's he's abdicated, but then when he comes back, he overcorrects and he tries to impose his will on the people yeah, and yeah. round up and imprison the the superpower beings who don't go along with it. And that's not a tenable solution or situation, right? So pendulum goes too far, right? So maybe because you know we're talking about you know does he do enough in this story, and maybe maybe part of that role of observer ah. is that again, he's been down that other path too. So maybe it's more being present, just being there and just being an example rather than, and again, he does issue his warnings and he has some things to do, but I think that might account That's for a, a lot good of this. Point. That's a very good point. That's a great, I mean, that helps me reason why he's kind of more of an observer and he's not leading the fight. That's a great point because he did see the, the consequences of overreacting when he tried to impose his will and they did the gulag and stuff like that. that thank you. That's a good point. Yeah. So again, as far as follow-ups to kingdom come, there aren't many and probably rightfully so. And we've seen instances where, you know, we do sort of reopen that, that box to, you know, to, to varying degrees of success. I, I do think, I think thy kingdom come overall works more for me than it doesn't. And I think it, it's a solid story in and of itself that does still maintain the integrity of kingdom come uh, in a way that, and I don't, I don't mean to dump all over the kingdom, but I, you know, that one is, you sort of put a little asterisk next to it. And I don't know that you do for thy kingdom come. I, I think it stands. Um, I, I think it earns its place. Uh, as as a follow up to the story, at the same time, I don't know that I need to see more, more follow ups. I feel like, you know, we again that Kingdom Come really does does work unto itself, and I do think the law of diminishing returns is at play here. Like, I I don't know how much and, more mileage we can necessarily get out of that particular story and that iteration of Superman. Well said, well said, and Anthony. This is something I'd say easily for the last 10 years I've always admired. One of your observations is kind of like, hey, you need to know when to get off the stage. You need, like, you've spoken about how in some ways British uh, television, they're not going to do, um, you know, an unending 
serial. There's going to have a story. It's going to be 13 episodes, beginning, middle, end. So I, that's a good point. Like, you know, it's so good. You're only going to do something that might diminish the value of the original by tinkering with it too much. Yeah, exactly. So at the same time, such a popular property and character and version of the story that I'm sure at some point we'll get something else. But uh, if we don't, I think I would be perfectly fine with that. Uh, before we go, I want to just ask, uh, as far as the Justice Society for you generally, specifically adaptations, you know, we've had the JSA on Smallville uh, back in season nine. There was a recent animated movie. I don't think you saw. I've actually not seen it myself either. I think it was called World War II, but there was that. We have the forthcoming uh, Black Adam movie that will feature Hawkman and Dr. Fate, and there's been some... Uh, some little teaser trailers that have been put out um, with that. There's the star girl TV series. As far as adaptations, I mean, what, what have you, uh, what have you enjoyed the most JSA wise or most looking forward to? I am looking forward to black Adam. I don't know where it's going to go. I did watch season one of star girl and enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, but I, there was nothing that's really, really uh, captured my interest. Uh, to me, you know, candidly, uh, some of the uh, Len Straczynski run with Mike Paraback, I think very highly of. The Paul Levitz run in the 70s, I think very highly of. And I think super highly of the, the Goyer, Robinson, Jeff Johns run. And Jeff Johns was the constant. Those are the three things I've enjoyed the most. I've enjoyed the most. Some of the Roy Thomas stuff from the 80s doesn't really, in my eyes, doesn't really stand the test of time. Going to feature films or animated or television, I'm, I'm really lukewarm and indifferent. I don't have a, a passion like, oh, I got to see this. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much for uh, taking part in this. It was great to compare notes on Thy Kingdom Come. Listen, I thank you. You you offered a few things that made me appreciate this more. So I'm a, incrementally a little bit more positive than I was, say, uh, at the beginning of this discussion. Right on. Well, thank you, Rich. Thank you, audience. Always appreciate you tuning in. Make sure that you come back in one week. Next time, we're going to be talking about the role of Superman as government stooge as depicted in DC, The New Frontier, and The Dark Knight Universe. It'll be a really interesting one, so don't miss it. And until then, remember, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. The spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC fan journey, is available now exclusively at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato, starting at the $1 level. New episodes release monthly, and many more rewards are available too including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.